Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Keith Smith of Spotrack, of Celtics Blog, of whatever lucky outlets, other lucky outlets are publishing him. Um, we have a really fun conversation. Started out building on his piece for SB Nation about the Wembenyama sweepstakes and then talking about the teams that are and are not maybe in that mix, a little bit about Miles Turner's unusual situation. Then we get on the Celtics, Al Horford's extension, how the team's doing, and then we get a little bit more broad on the league towards the end. So as you can tell, a lot of ground covered. Episode runs a little bit over an hour. Lots of good stuff in here and brought to you by betonline.ag. You Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. But let's get to the pod. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Piece you wrote for SB Nation kind of got my got my wheels turning a little bit, and that was on the Victor Victor Wembanyama. We call it the Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson Derby. And so to kind of set the stage, we're at about the quarter pole mark of the NBA season. You know, twenty ish, low twenties games for each of the NBA squads. Is that as we're recording this podcast, twenty three teams in the NBA are within three games of five hundred or better. So the Bulls are nine and twelve, and then above them there are twenty three other teams. And something else that's striking about that is, as far as I can tell it, all of those, at, le- at bare minimum, all of those 23 teams are also still like pushing for the playoffs, the play in and everything else. And would inevitably some of the teams below that mark, we could talk, we'll talk about those seven, are going to do the same. They're going to push and especially a team like the Lakers that doesn't own their own pick. But I think we are starting to see some, let's call them lines of demarcation around the league. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think we're starting to see teams slot into, if not what we expected, uh, what they may be. Um, I, I wrote in the piece, there's a couple teams that I think are a little unexpectedly worse um, than, than what we thought. And there's a couple that are definitely exp- uh, better than what we expected uh, them to be. But yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with you that I think we're in a position now where these teams are starting to slot in. And, and definitely one or two teams will fall out of the race uh, one way or the other, injuries or bad play or something will cause that. And then you've kind of got that looming uh, uh, specter of the Lakers there. Like you said, they have no reason to lose games. So they're going to continue to push, I imagine, all the way until it would become irresponsible to push some of their older players uh, to play minutes that that just maybe don't make sense. But as far as winning and losing games, they're going to keep trying to win because they have no reason not to. Right. And I think we should acknowledge at the kind of the beginning as we're going through this, the two teams that have moved at least preliminarily out of this conversation. That's the Indiana Pacers, currently 12 and 9 and playing well. You know, they have I think they just fell out of having a positive net rating, clean the glass version after the the game a couple days ago against the Kings. And then the Utah Jazz, who have who have been very good and they're dealing with the absence of Mike Conley right now. And there is this threshold and like whether you're somebody who enjoys over/unders or or thinking about this derby where the what you've what you see in the early going is enough of a signal to the decision makers, whether we're talking Danny Ainge or ownership in Utah in the same basic structure in Indiana. And like that's the part of this that I think is most salient, is that for the Pacers and the Jazz, two teams that we didn't, weren't sure were going to be good at the start of the year, and some, some people were sure weren't, wouldn't be good, is that they've shown enough that unless it's a really strong offer and it's kind of something that doesn't upset the apple cart in a way that really doesn't make sense for them, I expect them to keep kind of going in the direction they're currently going. Yeah, I, I think especially with the Pacers, they're, they're- their organization has never really leaned into let's bottom out. It's always been uh, let's play well enough to be in the playoff mix. Uh, there's a couple years it's happened where they've they've kind of fallen a little short of that um, and fallen more towards the top of the lottery. But I, I think for the most part they are very much we want to win. We we want to you know be at least at the very least a good team. And then when we hit the right mix of players like they did for a few years there, gosh probably close to a decade ago now but uh when they had you know george and uh, uh roy hibbert and david west and that whole crew then maybe we can contend but I, I think they are looking at it and saying hey we've got tyrese halliburton playing great playing you know definitely at an all-star level we've got some other guys who make sense so let's just keep keep pushing here because there, there's no reason
reason. And I know a lot of people have been salivating at the chance to trade for Miles Turner and those kind of things. And I'm not sure that's the way that's going to go. I think there's a good chance he sticks around and we may see the uh, extremely rare renegotiate and extend with him where, sure. where, where we see that. I think that's a possibility. And, and on the Utah side, I think what's going on there is very similar to when Danny Ainge, uh, his most recent uh, iteration of rebuilding the Celtics, the one where that ended with uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, was they got good far quicker than anybody expected, kind of like what's going on with this Jazz team. Uh, not not truly a contender, but just a good team. And then what happened was he looked and said, you know what? We can kind of outsource our tank here. We, we can let another team handle it for us. And that, that ultimately at that point ended up being the Brooklyn Nets. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's not looking at Minnesota and saying, uh, we might be able to get away with letting Minnesota do that and just keep building uh, this roster around some of the guys we have. So I'm not sure there's a teardown coming there either. That one I'm a little less certain about than Indiana, but I think Utah may keep pushing forward as well. One of the key questions that Ainge and Pritchard are both going to have to address is who is our core, like, uh, because both teams, you could see this flux. I mean, you brought up Miles Turner and the potential that he could get traded. And it's the, it's sort of the same with the Jazz, where they had a lot of turnover in during the offseason. And we had the question of who who does Danny Ainge see as a part of like the Jazz moving forward? Is it Lowry Markkinen? That was the one that I thought of as most likely, but Sexton. And then you have all these capable support players like Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. And it's always a sliding scale. If somebody offers you two first round picks for Jared Vanderbilt, obviously you're going to take it. And so it depends a little bit on the offers you get and what kind of contracts things are looking at. And, and for Miles Turner, I think there are kind of two different bullet points I want to make. One of them is the most likely way that Miles Turner was going to make his way out of Indiana because he's a pending unrestricted free agent was basically telling management, I'm not coming back. And mm-hmm. that's his prerogative. If, if that were the case, just like for any other player, you could use your agency, use your free agency to do whatever that is that you want, whether that's you want to go to a different city, you want a different role, whatever else. I'm pretty confident that hasn't happened because if it had happened and the Pacers didn't trade him, that would be irresponsible. Like, it, I mean, you could be rolling those dice thinking the Lakers would get more desperate or something like that. But that leads into the second point, which I have not written about yet, and I probably will at some point, and you already have if memory serves, which is the renegotiation and extension. And the reason that that matters here is the basic truth, and I I like to harken back to Zach Levine because it was a very recent situation, where the current extension rules for non-like Supermax players are still a little bit flawed, and basically it's tied Mm -hmm. to to how much money you're making on your current contract, and this could end up being a big, big issue in about three to four years when salaries start pushing up again. And so basically the idea is you can only get a certain raise off of your salary unless us your team has cap space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where the Pacers are. They're, they're sitting on roughly $30 million in cap space. Uh, so my, my thought is, you know, what you do in this case, and, and, and I, I, cap purists may cringe at the use of the terminology here, but to keep it in simple terms is you basically give them more or less a bonus uh, for this year. You're, you're going to, you know, maybe even push Turner all the way up to, to his max uh, for this season. And then what you can do is you can kind of say, hey, overall, we're going to give you X amount of dollars. We're just going to be able, because we have this leftover cap space, and the way the renegotiate and extend rules work, uh, where you can decrease so much more than you can in a standard contract, we're going to give you a ton of money this year. Then we're going to lower it into what's a much more palatable number for us moving forward. Um, But you're still going to get more money overall than you're likely to get anywhere else. And I think that is um, a good way to use that because in effect, a ch- large chunk of that cap space is going to have to be used anyway. And if unless you really have plans of here's how we're going to use it to whether it's get good young players or draft picks by eating a salary or two uh, via uh, trades before the deadline. I think the best way to use it is rather than just spread it around the entire roster, take care of one of your own guys, but then do it in a way where then the the ensuing contract, the extension portion is still very tradable and movable if you need to, or if he wants to down the line and those kind of things. And the Pacers are really well positioned to do that right now. It brings to mind a couple of really fascinating wrinkles. So one of them is the original kind of concept of a renegotiated extent. The basic sales pitch is the, you know, you you open up 
opportunities that would not exist if he didn't have cap space. And so like for Miles Turner, maybe he would not have accepted a tw- a, an extension built on a 20% raise. But as you said, because the declines can be there and it's been a long time, but Robert Covington is the is the model here. And so mm-hmm. what, what the Sixers did with Robert Covington, because that was in the process era, they weren't spending money on any players because all their guys were young. And as it turned out, most of them were pretty bad at the time. And so that meant they had a lot of cap space. And so you're giving the player even more money in the immediate and saying, okay, here is the total here's the total amount that you're receiving over these years and i like to phrase it in terms of opportunity cost and so right mm-hmm. now the pacers have a lot of money that's not doing a lot for them you're right that they could use some of that to produce other assets get young players all of that but a there doesn't seem to be a big appetite around the league like there, there aren't a lot of teams that are desperate to clear money for this year like the tax bills are pretty manageable and everything else there'll be some inevitably but there isn't a ton there and because that could set you up for the future and for a team like Indiana that is eventually going to have to pay Tyrese Halliburton that is eventually going to have to use you know the spending power that they have to actually you know make the team better like that is it is a very logical thing and then for Miles Turner and a lot of times we think about this from the team perspective because they're the ones with the constraints remember that this renegotiation extension with a balloon payment if that's the way they would do it a la Robert Covington you get that money right now like it's a very easy sales pit for Miles Turner because the time value of money you're getting that security and as you said theoretically should Turner want to be somewhere else in the future and he doesn't have to be then a you've already gotten a lot more money and b your contract is more movable more pliable than it would be otherwise and that can be an upside that can be a downside depending on how enthused you are about being where you are yeah it, it, that that's the the point and I, I tend to believe when we hear a guy in trade rumors for as many years running as it's been with Miles Turner, which feels like it's we've got to be on about year five or six of uh, Miles Turner, you know, being a, a trade piece out there. But then the player never gets traded. I tend to think, well, there's two things then. Either the league doesn't value the player the way the the uh, teams maybe do or the way you know, the rest of us think. And I don't know that that's the case with Turner. I think it's more likely the player in the club have no interest of of splitting. They're, they're, the player's happy where he is. The, the team is happy with the player. So there's no real reason to push that forward. So I think that is, for me, it makes a lot of sense to, hey, let's lock this in. And it maybe does. Maybe they don't bring him all the way up to the max. I tend to, well, when I think through these things, I tend to go to, all right, what are our extremes? Well, what's the extreme amount you can get? Because that's at your top end parameter. And then you work backwards from there into our, well, what seems to be a real fair value? Well, one of the tools we use over on SpotTrack, it's a it's a, a non-public tool, but we will plug in a whole bunch of players who we feel are comparable, run it through and see, all right, well, in, if they were a free agent now, what would their contract potentially look like, knowing what we know contracts look like for position and player? And then that gives us a number. And well, when we did that with Turner, we landed, you know, with the renegotiation portion, about 145 million in a five-year deal is what makes sense there um, for him, and in just logically, that kind of feels about right with where the cap is going and and those kind of things that he he get the big bump this year, get the, all the extra money, and then that the ensuing years become very reasonable, you know, under 30 million per season uh, for each of the next four years. I just because I prefer uh, declining or descending contracts, I I like I would love to see them structure it that way, and I think they have the ability to do that and still give Turner the exact same money. So that way, as he hits the uh, early thirties and as the deal's wrapping up, he's, he's making less money and that just makes him an even more uh, palatable trade piece. Yeah, it's a great point. And the other way that this could sometimes happen. And, and from what I've heard, I, th- I think this is a way it occurs is that from a player and team perspective, you negotiate an agent, obviously you negotiate the terms. And so it's like, okay, it's X amount of money over X amount of years. And then the team gets some latitude in terms of how they want to structure it and in this case i think you could see both sides pulling the same direction because if they front load it if they balloon payment or just descending like you were talking about before then miles turner gets more money sooner so it's 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 not a crime but it's a victimless crime in that sense of like everybody kind of wants the same thing the only limitation of that is that under the current system it makes it harder to agree to an extension in the future but other than that i mean that's a pretty small one and generally Mm -hmm. speaking the declining contracts 
we've seen, we haven't really run into that too much as an issue. Aaron Gordon was able to make something work with the Denver Nuggets. He had a declining contract for the Magic, and they were able to to get there. And so, and then a lot of the other ones, they just you know they've hit free agency. That's just the way it's worked out. We'll see with Buddy Heald in a couple of years, but we're not there yet. And that is it, it's worth keeping an eye on. Let's get back to the those seven. I talked about that there are you know there are seven teams that are more than three games under five hundred, and I'll rattle through them quickly. This will be in record order from best record to worst record as things stand as we record this. The Thunder, the Lakers, the Hornets, the Spurs, the Pistons, the Rockets, and the Magic. Is there anyone in that group other than the nuance that we've already discussed with the Lakers not owning their own pick? Is there anyone in that group that feels like they're more separate, like they could be better or that they have more to play for or that they might push out of it to you? Uh, Maybe the Hornets, but I might just be getting stuck on my priors there with them simply because I thought they had a chance to be potentially a play-in team uh, this year. But now, also with Steve Clifford, he's never been kind of a tanking coach. He he, he didn't do well enough with that in Orlando uh, to stick around. He he always seemed like somebody who could put together decent teams. But I'm starting to look at what's available roster-wise for them. And if if they don't get LaMelo, ball back soon i think they, they probably just stay a really bad team and that's likely as i look at it, i think all right that's probably it's probably going to be one of those the team from that group that's you know or three of them at least that are in the top three uh flattened lottery odds that that are competing uh for Wembenyama in the end i just think with um you know the thunder maybe kind of just because uh che gilgis alexander is playing so well uh really lifting them i just think sam presti has been very honest uh throughout his time there of there comes a point in the year where you prioritize draft position and and i don't know that they're gonna look at and say ah yeah if we really push hard maybe we can get to the 10 seed as being enough of a payoff i think they may say uh let's go the other way and you know somebody's got a sprained ankle that's a three-week injury versus a one-week injury and things like that i also there's a little bit of the the human element here that's hard to parse with okc of basically you know Shane Gilders Alexander has made the transition to, at bare minimum, an all NBA candidate. Whether or not, you know, we're still too early to say, oh, he's definitely going to do that. Like, we're a quarter of the way through the season. There will be a time, I don't know that it's right now, where he could get frustrated by them keeping on pushing the brakes, like the, that that idea. Mm-hmm. But Gilders Alexander, not even just the rough, you know, idea that he's under contract for another four years after this year, but also because I think he could understand that this roster just isn't quite good enough. And if Chet Holmgren had been available to play, maybe it could be different. Very few rookies are positive players. Maybe he would have been one of those. We There's no way to know. And so, well, we'll find out next year. And so I think for Presti, with Shea's ascendance and some other encouraging young players there, I really like Jalen Williams in particular, and then we'll see what happens with Chet. There also might be additional motivation where the, it might be that this is the last time. And mm-hmm. there aren't many teams that have a clear understanding of maximizing your initial your initial young core before pushing on the pushing the accelerator and going there than the Thunder because in a way that's what they did all those years ago when they had Harden and Westbrook and Kevin Durant was get what you can and then you're going to push out of it and then things will be okay and the other kind of good news for those who want to bolster this Thunder young core is that preliminarily with the Jazz and the Kings doing so well it looks like the threshold for getting into the play and is going to be 500 or better like it isn't going to be one of those circumstances like it was last year in i believe that was the western conference where the teams that like for example the spurs got in at 34 and 48 into the play-in and the Lakers were 33 and 49 and just got out like that would be harder to stomach like basically not pushing for it if it's if you're that close to making the play-in even if the play-in isn't that great a carrot and so I I think that if it's 500 or 500 ish that's a lot easier to take because I the Thunder could be a 500 team but I'm not expecting it the rest the rest of the way yeah I completely agree with you there I don't think uh, I just don't think they're ready for that. And I think to, to your bigger point that you made before is I, I think whatever they do, if, if Che Gilgis Alexander gets, you know, I don't know that they're going to fully shut him down like they did a year ago. But if it's, hey, we've got a five, you know, four or five games in a stretch here, we're going to have you sit for one or two of them. I think we may see some of that come up here and then they be 
because I think he that's going to be an organizational decision inclusive of him because I think now he's got the gravitas there um, as a guy who's really emerging into a star player to say, hey, I get some say in what we're doing and where we're going here as a franchise. And, and I think, think that's something where they're going to be smart about involving him in that. And I think there's enough there to look at and say, all right, one more guy added to this group. All right, then next year is our step forward year. They've got some cap flexibility. They can do some things to add pieces around some of the guys they have. Yeah, I think all of a sudden that starts to be a little bit more palatable than, all right, well, we're just starting this process and we could maybe be pretty good. And you're saying like, ah, hey, we're going to bottom it out because, you know, this was only year one of a four year rebuild or whatever. That's always a little tougher to take. As long as the sell is next year's our step forward year, I, I think you could see him get on board without a doubt. One last point before we move out of the Wembenyama sweepstakes is that I brought up that it's kind of seven teams in that mix, depending on how you want to classify the Lakers. And it just so happens that even though the lottery odds are flattened, that's right around the point where it gets pretty hard for a team to Mm -hmm. actually get the number one pick. And so at eight, assuming no ties, you have a 6% chance at number one, 6.3 at number two, and then it drops below 5% at that juncture. So yes, it is entirely possible that a team with the 10th worst lottery odds could could get the number one pick. Sure, that that's entirely possible. But it's less likely. And so I think that it's it's an interesting line of separation for right now because it's about the, the where you'd say, okay, they have a chance of doing it. And so that's a good, it's a, it's a good kind of separator for right now. And also the idea that I brought up before of who's pushing, who's not, and who has the incentives and who doesn't. So I think we have a general idea. And as you mentioned earlier, there will be teams that fall off. But part of the reason why I talked about the teams that are trying right now is because most of those fall offs will happen, but they'll happen maybe around game 40 or game 50 or something like that. And by that point, they'll have logged enough wins that falling into the seven best lottery odds is pretty hard to do. Yeah, exactly. It may be a reprioritization of, hey, rather than chase the the 10 seed in the play in, we're content to be uh somewhere in the lottery to get a you know better draft pick they do of course there's always all right well we owe a top x protected pick so we want to make sure we fall under that if we can't can try to engineer that so you'll have a little bit of that coming down the line here with some of these teams but yeah i i think we, we've seen a clear delineation where it was funny i know some people have said well utah and indiana have already, they've already won too much to even have a shot well that's not necessarily true i mean you could shut down a whole bunch of guys and go on a 10 game losing streak and next thing you know you're right in the mix with the rest of the teams but I do think they've kind of they, they've they've won enough where you can get that buy-in, and I think those other teams, like you said, the Bulls at nine and twelve, kind of a three-game separator between them and most of these uh, other bad teams. That's probably enough for them to say, "Hey, our intention is not to be bad, so let's keep pushing." Now they also have the you know factor that they owe a pick to the Magic, so unless they're really gonna you know fully bottom all the way out and hope for lottery luck, like that, that could get really messy because that that's not as easy a tank as you could have so so i i think we are seeing the teams where we know they're going to be at the bottom versus the teams that are going to be fighting uh to climb up and out of that group uh, i'm just interested to see how much happens later in the year to all right i want to be in that top three and what does that look like when we get to you know maybe say you know mid-march and there's a month or so left in the season we we might that's when we may see some of that kind of epic tanking even though you know because you don't want to be four you want to be three if you can get there versus right. four and that's that's where we may see uh who's playing tonight for these guys and who are you know these seven g league-ish players on the court that's where we may see some of that come into play for sure and it, whether it's the double tank games which is two of those teams facing off against each other or the the like the ones that are actually kind of more nefarious for a competitive balance are the single tank games where it's just one team is pulling all their guys and the other team is trying to win and it's like oh well you know where that's gonna go with very few exceptions yeah plenty more with keith smith but first the message from betonline.ag betonline remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season you'll always find the latest odds team matchup information player news and game trends at betonline always your continued source for sports wagering information betonline features live betting free contests and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable we're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite nfl NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf games and events. 
So head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Not only the top team currently, but you and I had set up that we were going to record this week, and then just so happened that yesterday Al Horford agreed to a two-year extension, two years, $19.5 million. This is, I, I think of this as a very positive thing. Obviously, it's a circumstance where you want what's best for everybody involved, but it appears that Al Horford truly valued the security of inking this six months before free agency or eight months before free agency. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what, what this is. I think this is a chance to say, all right, what did my market look like? And maybe he gets a you know full MLE contract for two or three years from another team um, in free agency. But I think Al Horford's probably more looking at it and saying, all right, I'm getting basically MLE money, just just a tad under that. I get to stay here. He, he stopped short uh, this morning as we record this uh, at Shootaround. He talked. He stopped short of saying he had regrets about leaving Boston for Philadelphia, but that's kind of counter to what he said um, when he rejoined the Celtics after they traded for him last offseason, uh, or I guess two offseasons ago, better put, uh, he, he had said at that time, if I had known that Danny Ainge had a plan to get Kemba Walker and all these things, I might have done things differently and, and that. So he, it's still not saying regrets, but I think that's saying like, okay, I, I probably would have just stuck around. But he's talked often about how much it means to him and his family to be back in Boston. And he's playing a huge role. I, I, I would argue too large of a role right now, uh, considering his age and and those kind of things. Um, but playing a huge role on a team, and I think for the Celtics, this is great for them to lock up um, a guy who, at the very least, over the next two seasons beyond this one, if he's not a starter for them still, he's a good quality depth piece behind uh, what can be a shaky uh, player, Robert Williams, health-wise. Exactly. And the stability for Horford is useful, but the stability for the Celtics is incredibly valuable too. Horf, you know, Horford has had to take on a large role. I, I agree with you. I think he's played too much as puts a value judgment, but he's played more minutes than I'm comfortable with. And yes. it's funny because <laughs> Horford and I are a similar age. It's like, oh God, I, I and he, he's in infinitely better shape than I am. But I, <laughs> I, I have the, I have that idea. And it, it always, par, part of the challenge that comes in those circumstances is that everyone knows it's a temporary condition, but you don't know how temporary and there are positive signs that Robert Williams is coming back, you know, mm-hmm. within the next month. But that's still a lot to, to put on Horford, and he's done a really good job. And what this does also for so for Horford, it's, I talked about the idea of security. It also does a cost security element for the Boston Celtics, which I think is really telling because there's still the big question mark of what's going to happen with Grant Williams' next contract, mm-hmm. and that cannot resolve until July because what when you have a rookie scale player, once you what's the extension window closes it's closed you know it's closed he, he will be a restricted free agent we'll see what happens then but having Horford at it looks like it's gonna be 10 million for 23-24 that puts the Celtics depending on what happens with Galadari's player option that puts them pretty even a little bit below the luxury tax the projected luxury tax line for next year and so then that means depending on where Grant Williams contract ends up they'll be modestly into the tax and then if they want to cut that bill they could make a trade and theoretically save some money yeah absolutely and it, the, the hope is at least you know among the the Celtics fans is that uh, ownership is saying all right we're we're willing to go into the tax now willing to go into the tax and willing to go 20 30 million into the tax is two very different things uh to me and the, the, this year the, the they're sitting right now at about twenty five and a half million over. But we'll see if they, you know, nudge that slightly. If they find they need something come uh, trade deadline time or, or that, or if they they basically say, right, "We're going to sit uh, on this number." That that's you know probably closer to the upper bounds of where they are. I kind of put a twenty million um, is kind of kind of where I think they would operate on. And what that does is that allows you to then say, "All right, Grant Williams, as long as it's." 
stays reasonable in free agency, we can resign him to to a number because now we have Horford at only ten million, and and that's you know if Horford was at fifteen million, well that in some ways becomes five million. You can't give to Grant Williams because you don't want to be that uh, deep into the tax. So I think that's what that does. Now could could it get silly in restricted free agency? Tends to be the only way you get restricted free agents to change teams is to overpay them and force their current team to say, yeah, that's too rich for our blood. And it's a weaker free agent class. There are going to be, I think, more teams that are sitting on cap space. Grant Williams is a good player. You'd have to feel really confident that or we can plug him in as a full-time starter, and he's then that's going to uh, bump all everything production-wise across the board to where we feel really good about $20 million a year or something in that range. But I think if you're the Celtics, as long as it stays in the 14 to $16 million range, so probably right around 15 you feel pretty good because then you can get him re-signed, fill out your roster at this point. That's you know ring chasers, end-of-the-bench guys, maybe a development project or two. And that's how how you're going to move forward with, with that. And I think that is you know a real sign of what Brad Stevens wants. Is I think he where we're seeing he wants his roster a little bit more stable than it is. Let's continually try to roll over and chase and do these things because between extending guys like Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and then the guys he's traded for uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, who had years left on their contract, I think you're seeing a little bit of the coach side of him. Of. I want a little bit of stability. I want to know who's going to be on my roster uh, for the next few years versus, all right, well, let's, let's, you know, roll over spots, you know, one, two, and three in the rotation and we can, you know, kind of chase around our stars. Uh, I think he's valuing that stability more so than, than we usually see. It's a really, really good point. And I think connecting it to Brad Stevens being a former coach is, is astute. I, had, I hadn't made that connection, but I think you're 100% right. And the other part of it, we'll see with Brogdon. I mean, he's had a very good start to the year, is that a lot of these contracts are theoretically movable should they go in a different direction. Like that was the question I had. I talked about this with Jared Weiss a lot uh, when they acquired Derek White was the idea that eventually they could decide to choose between Derek White and Marcus Smart. They haven't had to yet. They don't have to ever, but they theoretically could. They make similar money. They're, they play kind of, they have that similarity in their role. And mm-hmm. so theoretically, if whether that's ownership wanting to save a little bit of money or it's just a little bit of a reorganization, like you want another player, part of what gives a roster from a general manager's perspective, what gives a roster flexibility, and you can lie, you can look to the Lakers if you want to see the opposite of this, is players that if you put them as available, put them on the market, other teams wouldn't scoff. And that because then you can have these conversations, you're not going to get phones hung up on you or anything else. And I think that's another good part for the Celtics is the intention here for Brad Stevens is to line things up to keep things together. But you're also not pot committed. You're not in the circumstance where in case things don't work out, you have to stick with what you have. Yeah, that's and that's a great point, because what you don't want to do is it's kind of what he inherited with Kemba Walker was we have to not only did we have to take back, which at the time looked like a shaky contract for Al Horford, but we also had to give up a first round pick too. Now they, they, they didn't ever came out and openly said it because they, they, I think believed a Horford back here is going to be kind of what he was when he left, but it was, they, they did openly say Brad Stevens did say at the time that, that he gave the media availability of part of this was about rebalancing our books and trying to clean things up a little going forward. Then kind of right on the heels of that it was and we're going to extend marcus smart we're going to extend robert williams there's like all right well all that flexibility is out the window but then it was trade for Derek white all right even more flexibility out the window but i think what's important is flexibility can also come in having a whole bunch of tradable contracts and for a long time the celtics were sitting on Brown, Tatum, and Walker is kind of their their three bigger contracts. Uh, well, Tatum's hadn't quite kicked in yet, but you knew he wasn't going anywhere, and he had already signed the extension. And then they didn't really have anybody in that mid-range. Smart was the closest because they had had everybody else on the roster was basically rookie-scale guys. Now what they've done is they've put themselves in position where, yeah, they're not going to have cap space for the next several years, but they're in position where, oh, this guy who makes $30 million is available. All right, well, we 
we can do it without having to give up one of our star core pieces. We can put together those salaries. Or if it's, you know, a player only makes 15 million, but we can still give you a guy who makes slightly more than that because we're not underwater on that contract. And that that's really important too. It is. And the kind of the next piece in terms of security is Jalen Brown. That situation cannot resolve at until the next offseason at the earliest, but he's under contract until 2024. So at some point that will that will resolve but let's instead focus on the, the the Celtics on the court and they have been the league's best team so far and it hasn't been in part because of Robert Williams their defense it's been this unbelievable offense yeah I I honestly I, I made this and this may seem blasphemous especially for Celtics fans but I made the comment of this team moves the ball better than any team I can remember watching in Boston since the 86 team which was you know is why considered to be one of the best teams in NBA history and you can just pull up their highlights and see Bird and and uh, Parrish and McHale and Bill Walton and all those guys just making highlight passes and ball popped all over the place and they, they were great to watch I mean I, I like with the Celtics this year and it's part of what Malcolm Brogdon's given them but also the confidence uh, Derek White is playing with is they'll take some of these possessions down to under five and then they'll still make two more passes because they trust hey we're going to get a good shot out of this or the guy who gets it will be able to create something you know as the as the buzzer sounds and that's been been huge watching this team they, they rarely play without someone on the floor who's not a threat to dribble shoot and pass at, at all times and, and if they do it's really only one guy i'm out there at a time it might be uh, luke cornett out there or maybe sam hauser is not not a threat to do much other than shoot but for the most part they're gonna have three four or even five guys out there who you have to defend and you have to close out to them because they can shoot it and then if you get the hard close out then they love it because now you're in rotation they've got you in the blender they know where they want to go and they're, they're moving that ball it's popping around and their turnover numbers they they're coming off a bad one against the heat but their turnover numbers are pretty low when you consider how often they're moving and what their assist numbers look like it's been really really fun to watch it has been and a couple things that are really impressive beyond everything you mentioned about the celtics is they've been moving the ball really well and they haven't been turning it over i mean the celtics right now have the fourth lowest turnover percentage as a proportion of their possessions in the entire nba and also we're seeing a well-executed, really talented five-out team and just how many good opportunities that creates. Because the Celtics are getting really, really good shots. They're making those good shots. They're number one in effective field goal percentage in the league, but they're also generating them. And I think that's the Mm -hmm. more important part because if you generate them, then the hope expectation is that that will continue. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that I've seen some people say, you know, as is prone to happen on the internet is, uh, well, you know, they're eventually going to cool off shooting wise and and there will be some of that of course i I don't think for example al horford's going to continue to shoot 48 percent from three all year long but when you're getting great shots almost every trip down the floor you probably will shoot above what your normal normal percentages are and in that also i think uh they've done a lot of work uh ben sullivan i think should get most of the credit for this with Derek white and with marcus smart on hey here's what we want to do quicken your release catch the ball higher get a higher higher release point and let's try to work on being straight up and down as we shoot and that's you're really seeing that especially with Derek white but marcus smart's also shooting better um and in smart has calmed down you're not seeing these plays where he used to be watching the celtics especially when you watch them every game every minute as i do it would be all right smart hasn't done anything he hasn't had an assist he hasn't taken a charge he hasn't done anything in the last two three minutes there's going to be some questionable shot that he's going to barf up there and make a big mess out of and that's pretty much eliminated because they're letting them run the offense they're throwing on the ball and basically saying hey get us into something get us there and i think what's cool with joe missoula too is he's talked about he's been asked a lot about you know what what are the sets you're running and he's he's kind of said it's less sets and more concepts that we've tried to drive home with with the team of you know we really want to be good about read and react we want to be good about drive and kick if we can hit the paint twice on a possession we feel pretty good we're going to get a good shot out of it in the end and then it's empowering the guys if you're open shoot you you shouldn't hesitate every once in a while they have the record scratch plays but for the most part guys are catching they're they're letting it fly and he's and he's letting them go and the couple games where they haven't shot well and maybe a half or something like that it's just stick with it because we believe in the system we believe in the talent it's going to come through 
Right. And and it's really impressive. And you brought up Smart and Derek White. I mean, one of the dominant elements for the Celtics is that basically anyone who plays consistent minutes for them who takes threes is making them. I mean, so you have Mm -hmm. Jalen Brown at 34%, and then everyone else is 36% or higher so far in the year. And and yeah, some of those will regress to some sort of mean, but they've all been pretty good shots. They've all been, they're all capable shooters. And so that is a very impressive mark for Boston. They're the league's best three-point shooting team so far. And dynamics will shift when Robert Williams comes back. I mean, that that you're going from five out to four out. It, but Robert Williams also, of course, has he'll help them on the offensive glass and he'll help them as a defensive team. And so they can hopefully get more in transition. And what's what's been interesting to me about the Celtics team, but you know, I come at this from a league-wide analyst perspective, is the fundamental question. They've been the league's best team so far. They're 18 and four. They have, they're outscoring teams by roughly 10 points per possession. Is have they done anything to fundamentally change my assessment of them as a playoff team? And the answer is not yet other than Jason Tatum potentially taking another big step forward. Like that is that is the biggest thing so far that could do it because if Tatum, you know, he's at this point, you know, worth the quarter pole, he's a serious MVP candidate. If that translates into him being the best player in a playoff series against a higher caliber of opponent, then yeah, we're we're working with something a little bit different here. Yeah, for for me, it's that's definitely one of them, and I would say that's that's arguably the the biggest one. Is I think you know Jason Tatum is right right in that mix. You know, by, I I don't know what level we want to use, but super duper star, he's there. Well, whatever we want to say, he, he's right at that that list. He brings it on both ends of the floor, which is really fun to see. He he's upped his protection that they, they've used him at times uh, when they really took off last year is when they put Robert Williams away from the action and basically said hey you're going to be in a Romer off either the weakest defender or we're going to kind of play in almost a one-man zone where you just pick up whoever is closest to the basket and that's where they really took off well this year they've put Tatum in that role at times and you're seeing him deliver rim protection numbers that he's he's never really done before he's usually been more of a good on-ball defender in a Occasionally as a help guy, but now it's kind of like, hey, we're going to funnel things almost to him on occasion and let him do do some of the cleanup there. And that's been big. The other thing I would say that makes me more enthused about their ability in the playoffs is the addition of Brogdon. Now I'm trying to temper that with he misses time. Now he's missed a little bit of time for the Celtics. But if we go through a period where now it's all of a sudden, all right, Malcolm Brogdon is going to miss 25 games and there's the wrong 25 games, that could be really a problem. But I I think what what he gives them when he is available to play is just another guy who can do stuff because what happened to them so often, not just in the finals, which really stood out for most people against the Warriors, but also in the Heat and Bucks series, is when teams were able to lock in a little bit more on Tatum, a little bit more on Brown, they didn't have that third guy uh, who could do something. Um, they also, when they went to the bench, they didn't have that kind of steadying presence on their bench, and that's what Brogdon gives them. They just kind of know, all right, we, we can play through him when we need to. And then he has said uh, very recently, which I thought was interesting, was a lot of the times before when I broke down, it was because I had to carry so heavy of a load. And maybe I'm just not that guy. Maybe my body's not built to do that. But here I don't have to carry that large of a load. And I think that's going to help me stay available all the way through the season, which is an interesting thing because you don't generally hear players talk like that very often about themselves in injuries. It, it's a fascinating point and a very notable admission there. And he, I think he might be right. And not having to do as much and that that there are a couple different parts of that one is the physical stress of like having that role but another part is playing those minutes and mm-hmm. so if if you're asking for something more manageable maybe he can be more available i also wonder about Brogdon defensively in some of the more challenging matchups but we'll have to see it when we get there i'm very excited about this playoffs because there are a lot of teams that can can prove it i know you watch just about everybody is there anything else from around the league that stuck out to you during the first 20 plus games? Yeah, I a couple things. I think um, Phoenix, their their ability to do what they've done without Chris Paul yes. for a large chunk of the season is just, that's kind of scary. Um, they I think they're getting almost kind of criminally underrated. I know, and I'm guilty of it saying I think Boston and Milwaukee are the two best teams, but I've also, you know, said some of our, our you know, friends and colleagues in the media and some of the other people are saying, 
you know, hey, the East is the real finals. And that's tough for me to swallow because, boy, Phoenix is good. Um, you know, Devin Booker is just he's gone up another level as far as a guy who you can really say, all right, there's nothing he can't do offensively to lead a team now. They've got, you know, good what I like to call good functional depth. You're not jumping up and down about any of their guys coming off their bench. But when you look at them as a as a whole, you're like, wow, that team's pretty good. I, I assume they're going to get something in return for Jay Crowder that can slide in and help them uh, when eventually they do make that trade. So, yeah, Phoenix is – I was watching them the other night. I can't remember who was against. It was it was, it was was the night when Booker had you know 50 points with relative ease. Um, but it was uh, – I was just looking at this and I'm like, and they're, they're doing this without Chris Paul, like which is you know, really, really impressive. Yeah, and without Cam Johnson for a lot of this too. And he'll be back at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, it's still going to be a little while. But, yeah. Yeah, that's been extremely impressive. And then in part because Nate and I did it for the NBA strategy stream, but the game that Zion Williamson played on Wednesday against the oh my gosh. <laughs> was jaw dropping. And it, it was the best it was the best NBA game I've seen Zion play. And I, I will admit, I don't get to watch every I don't get to watch every best game for every every player, every team. He was fantastic. He did a lot of good work on defense. He was unstoppable on offense against a very a very good defense. A defense that you thought would nobody like fully shuts him down, but would have some guys there and like for example the the original assignment because og gets so many of the tough ones was og and anobi and zion williamson got him in foul trouble instantly for the entire first half like and because anobi he was trying to be physical but he just can't really can't really stick zion williamson's a big dude he's very strong he's very agile and i'm still not there on the like it, it's a weird thing with new orleans like it's I, I i use the phrase roster construction but it's not that they have a lack of talent it's just that they have a lot of players and i don't know how in the world it's going to fit together but I, I was talking about this a little bit with seth partner on his on his show and what i said is this, there's a basic point in the nba like we talk a lot about fit and everything else which is just you can just be so good that the other teams can't deal with you like that is it's it I, I talk about undeniability a lot and like there is this idea that even if the pelicans are imperfect even if they still have all these assets that they're not putting into the present they might just have so many good players that do different things well and a lot of good support players functional depth willie green's done a nice job with this with this team as well that their whole is very very difficult to deal with yeah i think we're especially seeing that right now when they've been over the last week or so without brandon ingram without cj mccollum and they're just kind of keeping things moving and that's that i think that gets gets underrated early in the season when you're missing guys if you can just keep things going and just just keep keep winning games stack those wins when those guys are out because you're eventually going to get them back and then now all of a sudden unlike last year where the pelicans put themselves in a spot where I mean they dug out of it and got all the way you know in, into the to the postseason, but you're, you're not having to dig out of any kind of a hole. Um, that's huge because now all of a sudden what that changes that changes the math from all right. Let's just try to get to you know six in the assured playoff spot. Then it starts changing. All right, well let's try to go to four. Now you can look at it and say, hey, we've hung in here. We get our guys back. Maybe we can push for one, and maybe we can really make that run. I thought that Zion game, and I watched it after the fact. I didn't watch any of it live and then I, I watched it knowing um and knowing what happened but i didn't know how it happened i thought it was a um really good example of power versus length yeah because toronto just threw a million of their long arm guys at him and zion was basically cool i'm just gonna throw go right through you um and i'm gonna do it over and over and over again and that was to me that was um one of those it, we i think we tend to think of it most with Giannis um now in the game but it was very shack like in the way of like i'm gonna get to where i want to go there's nothing you can do about it and if you want you you better jump all over me and follow me very hard because otherwise i'm getting a layup or a dunk out of this and it, it was it was really crazy to watch and then to their roster piece another team that maybe there's a trade in there too because they've got a couple tradable salaries that look like maybe you could move a Devonte graham and you've got those additional assets in terms of picks where maybe you could do something if you really say boy we really need x we gotta go fill this need i think they've got the ability to do that so that, that's fun i took a year later maybe than we expected them to get there but i think the pelicans are are there now with kind of more more fully formed to what 
their idea was of a roster. Last Pelicans thought we talked about some of the resources that they have. And I mean, that Lakers pick could end up being juicy. I will also mention that considering the Lakers incentives, unless you're so excited about the possibility of it being one or two, because holy crap, the Pelicans in a totally different place if they can get either of those guys. And and maybe the Thompson (laughs) twins, I haven't watched them enough yet. They could be in that mix where like those are potential starters for this Pelicans team that could be there is the question for Griffin is, do you do smaller moves or do you keep as much of this artillery? You know, this is going back to an old Danny Age question. Or do you keep that for the big one? Because what I've thought about, like uh, I mentioned the conversation I had with Seth, is it's like, well, the smaller term big fish would be somebody like Miles Turner who can protect the rim and can shoot threes and would fit. I think he's a, a wonderful fit with Zion Williamson. And there are reports that there have been discussions over the years between the, the Pels and the Pacers on that front. But then the other real juicy one is, you know, like, are the, are the Pelicans in a good enough place to make an offer for the next superstar that wants out? And whether that's Kevin Durant wanting out again or somebody else, because New Orleans has, they have a lot of draft assets, they have a lot of quality players, and they kind of have this fungibility in terms of their timeline that I think is mm-hmm. really compelling, where it's like, if they want to push their chips in, they can, but they don't have to. And so what that means is it becomes, in a weird way, harder to make smaller moves that require assets because you want to keep the powder dry for the big one if that's the way David Griffin sees it. And there's no guarantee that he does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I look at that team with the combination of players and picks that that they could offer, I think they are that team that's in the mix to say, all right, we need to go get one more you know, star guy and we, we can make that happen in any number of ways to, to get there. And the, the one just positionally that I think if they, if they were willing to say, you know what, forget trying to defend, we're going to go all offense. And, and I, I feel bad even bringing him up because he's done nothing but stay loyal to the organization. But there's this sense of, Hey, what if the wolves play well without Carl Anthony towns? Does mm-hmm. that become a, could he be somebody they move to, to do something? And is that a guy who him and Zion together is a hilarious, bad, hilariously bad uh, defensive front court, but offensively, I don't even know what, how you would even begin to, to handle that. I, I don't even know what you would do because you're talking about two, two guys who can, uh, you know, shoot pass score from basically anywhere on the floor and, do all sorts of things. And that's where I almost look at it and say, could, could they just say, you know, what, let's go all in. Let's, let's go all in on offense and see what it looks like. And we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll help them by controlling the perimeter with guys like Herb Jones and uh, Najee Marshall and some of those other guys. That's what, how, how we'll lock down out there. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a really fun team there in new Orleans. And I, I don't, I, sometimes I look at these teams and I say, oh, what's the sustainability? Like they're fun, but are they going to, are they here for a year and then they're gone? And I think this is a team that could hang around for a while. I think so too, especially when you consider how young some of their best players are and their books are pretty clear and they have all of these other resources moving forward, including something I know you and I love how juicy that is that the the Pelicans could choose basically <laughs> at the time of the 2024 yep. draft. Do we want the Lakers 24 pick or their 25 pick? And that that's a very fun game to play out. And I'm sure I'll talk a lot about that once we get closer to it. And the last thing we're going to say, you know, we're at the quarter, like at this quarter, Mark is there's another group of teams that we haven't really discussed too much in this and what what the way I like to think about it is the okay you've shown me what you can show me right now and now we're in kind of a holding pattern and so for me that's teams like Cleveland and Denver I would argue Phoenix is probably in this boat as well Memphis might be there where the questions I have for them are more how is it going to work against the best of the best and they've played well enough that we think they're going to be in that mix and they're also like for Phoenix I think this is an amazing one where it's just like there's nothing they can do to change the way I feel about the things that already made me queasy until they actually do it. And I hope they do. Like that's the, it's the fun. And and the idea behind that is not, they can't do it. It's just, I'll believe it when I see it. And that is actually, it's a weird thing to say, but it's actually a mark of success for a team to have, to not have those other doubts. So like for Phoenix, I mean, they're 15 and six. They've been the league's second best team in terms of net rating. So now it just becomes when you're facing a team with dominant wings, when you're facing a team that can switch, can you do enough? And Devin Booker's taken a step forward this year. They've done it without Chris Paul. They've done it without Cam Johnson. And it might sound like scathing criticism, but it absolutely is not. Yeah, I I, I like the way you put that. I, I tend to think of those teams of 
They're teams I don't spend a ton of time with in the regular season because I just don't know how much more I have to learn. I I kind of I, I, I let's see in the playoffs. You know, we're, we're there, and there's a handful of teams like that that, that we all know. It's where we're going to be okay. You're fine, but do it in the playoffs, and then then I'll be a little bit more bought in and those, those kind of things. And especially this early in the year too, I tend to I tend to gravitate towards what's shiny and new, what what's different with a team, and those kind of things. And you have teams like the Suns, the Nuggets, they're they're kind of uh, all right, you're good, but I knew you were going to be good, and you're you've proven it. So yeah, we'll we'll check in as the year goes along. Cavs a little different because because of the uh, Donovan Mitchell trade and how is that all going to fit together and and those kind of things. But yeah, I think I think it's it it's almost fun for those teams to maybe be in that position. Of you know here we are, and that's that's where like Memphis. I look at it. I do I do a weekly radio spot in Memphis, and and of course because it's a local market, we have to talk to Grizzlies a little bit. And I feel like I'm just basically saying the same thing as I'm like keep your head above water while you've got guys out and be in the mix for home court advantage. Get your guys back and then we'll probably see this team really take off and be really good like they were uh, a season ago and and it's 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 almost been on repeat because it started with jaron jackson then it was john Morant for a little bit now it's desmond bain but you get those guys back that team's going to be very very good and they're 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 a lot of fun to fun to watch uh well, with those teams but yeah i th- think sometimes being um almost uh boringly good is not a bad place to be because it just means you're you're kind of doing what you should do in the regular season absolutely and that's why I'm going to focus more in the next little bit on the teams that haven't really been whole yet. So like Miami, if they're, it looks like they're going to get Jimmy Butler back soon and Philly is getting closer. Harden looks mm-hmm. like he might come back over the weekend. I haven't heard a timeline yet on Tyrese Baxi. And that is the ebb and the flow of an NBA season. Like as a, as a league wide analyst is you try to pick your spots with teams and then you get there. And then also this will be a, a good time to check in on some of those. We talked about the one, but like the lottery teams to, because the, there will be a point later on, I think it's usually around the three-quarter poll, where the sample gets unusable for them. And yep. so you want to take a little, for me, that'll be, watch some Jalen Williams over the next two weeks. See how I feel about him. Watch some, well, and we'll see if Mark Williams gets into the rotation in Charlotte. That's actually one. If, <laughs> Boy, he, can, if, if he can actually do it, that'll be there. Ivy's going to have all he could eat for a while and Detroit for better for worse though they did have a a good win yesterday over Dallas and so you check in on them now and then check in on them in a, like a, a couple months and then you see if there's been any real growth there and then the other group that I like to focus on now are the pretty good which side of the fence are they actually on? So that could be, it feels like every year that's the Washington Wizards, where it's just like, okay, <laughs> yeah. are you like interesting in the playoffs? Are you just hanging around? Are you flawed? And it's just like a little bit of fool's gold. And I've been really, it's been fun to watch Kristaps Porzingis this year. The Knicks are probably in that group too. And those kind of teams, you're, you're not getting the definitive final sense because health and how they play will change over the course of the year. But the idea of like, do I feel more strongly than usual? about them than most teams in their kind of compatriot group yeah I, I feel like with the wizards i said this on twitter the other day when the rumors came up that they're interested in jake crowder and i said the wizards feel like their forever destiny is just collect a whole bunch of guys who are pretty good and then they're just gonna always kind of be okay they're never gonna be contenders but never be bad enough to actually get a difference maker and it just it feels like that's the world they've been living in uh, for i don't know the last seven eight years it almost almost feels like the the entirety of the Bradley Beal uh, tenure there. They've had a couple times when they've popped. They've had a couple times when they've fallen a little bit, but never you know at any point I think has anybody seriously said, well, you know, Washington they, they they could be a dark horse to win the title, but nobody's ever saying, man, the Wizards are, you know, they're bottoming out for uh, draft position. And then on that first group of teams you talked about with the kind of the, the rebuilding tanking teams, for me, I'm a little interested and I'll stay interested in Orlando just mm-hmm. because we got to see their fun. Guys. Yeah, they're fun, and, and we got to see these guys together. Just they're still going to be bad. They're still going to lose games. But what does it look like when Bancaro, Wagner, and Fultz all share the floor together? Like, does it work? Does it not work? We get a little snippet of it the other day. We're going to hopefully continue to get more of it. It doesn't. At this point, they're bad. Wins and losses. That that part I you was know, basically irrelevant uh, for my interest in the Orlando Magic. My interest in them is: are right, what are we? 
we doing moving forward with this roster? Because when you have eight, nine interesting guys, I would argue, all right, you're going to start to pare that down to who are our core of four guys in them? What do we need to do to supplement around them? And they just haven't had any shot, really almost two years running now of seeing what that looks like. Now that paid off because they got Paulo Bancaro, who I'm you know super duper high on. I think is going to be great. But let's just see what it looks like with some of those guys together. Let's get them healthy. Not it's funny because I've seen some Magic fans like, but haven't we lost too much to for it to matter? Yeah, I don't care about that. I, we need to see them so you can make smart roster decisions moving forward. That's the only way this is going to work. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I know you, the two of us could talk about could talk about all these nuances in the league forever. But instead, <laughs> I will instead I will thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. Thanks again to Keith Smith for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at Spotrack. You can read his work at Celtics Blog. You can listen to the Front Office Show, and also you can check out other places, including SB Nation, where that's where the Wembenyama piece we discussed is located. You can also follow Keith on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA, K E I T H S M I T H NBA. Love having him on and his optimism and his perspective is is something that I truly value and we've known each other a long time worked together at Real GM of course in the past as well if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you could do it you can subscribe and download every episode in whatever podcast player you choose that could be Spotify it could be Apple Podcasts really wherever and you can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in the aforementioned podcast player or word of mouth social media in person whatever if it's a single episode or the show in general But then the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and to tell them that you came from us. So hopefully they keep advertising here. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. Nate and I just did awards for the first time, which was a thorough, challenging, fun exercise. And of course, we're doing a lot of other pods too, 15 and 60s and games and mailbags and everything else. And we're also doing the NBA strategy stream together, which is roughly once a week on League Pass. Our next one is going to be Monday, Pacers at Warriors, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. Should be a fun one. Pacers have been one of my favorite League Pass watches this year. And you can check out my written work at The Athletic. I have a couple things stewing. They're not submitted to editorial yet, but I have a couple things that I'm working on. So in the next little bit is my hope, as long as I can get my act together, which is a hope. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm not the greatest at replying, but I read everything. It's important to me to do so. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm -hmm.